Peace of Christ to you all. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but peace of Christ to you. Yeah, whenever, whenever there's a baptism, for some reason, the peace of Christ goes on and on and, and on. Well, today we continue on our journey in the, towards the end of the, the letter of Paul's writing to the church at Rome. And uh, uh, particularly today in our journey of transformation, it's how that Paul brings us freedom. Brings us a word of freedom to, to transform us in, in our own personal lives, in our lives in the church, and I think as well with implication in our families and in the workplace. And he brings us a word of liberty as we've been singing and saying that we are free. You know, it's a, a word of freedom because as we'll hear as we walk through, it is a freedom that we have now to appreciate um, one another. It's a, a freedom that we have to listen to one another and admire the differences that we encounter in one another. It is a grand freedom that we'll see. A grand freedom that we're now freed from judging one another. We don't have to do it anymore. We're totally freed. We're set free that, that we don't need to judge one another at all because as we'll see as you walk through the passage that's God's job and not ours we're we're freed from judging one another so that we can appreciate one another and ultimately help one another to live for Christ we're freed totally freed to be transformed to help one another live for Jesus our passage is in Romans chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 1. It's on page 923 in your pew Bibles, and uh, you can follow along there or whatever form of the Scripture you have or follow along on the screen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your written word. Thank, thank you that it speaks to us. And has implications and applications in our lives. Now help us now to sort of set aside the distractions and the other things that, that might get in the way of us hearing from you and doing what you say. As, as Brian said, receiving from you and then, then doing it. I mean, giving it back. Help us in this time to hear your word and then do it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall. And they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another. 
while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also, those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. Now, let's stop here uh, for a moment. We're, we're going to read um, a little bit more in a little bit. But just to get a sense of what's going on, because it might be rather confusing. It's sort of an odd passage in some ways, because people eating, not eating, observing certain days, not certain days. What exactly is um, going on here? Well, th- this is uh, what's going on in first century Rome. This is the, the first generation of the, of the church. And what you've got are different people. This is in Rome, you know, so it's, that's a far distance from Jerusalem. So the, the church has moved um, to Rome, and this is the first generations of Christians, and they're a very diverse group. But largely they fall into two categories. Okay, they're, they're the categories of those who were Jewish when, before they became Christians. Right? And the, the Jews had traditions that they kept, certain convictions that they upheld that had to do with the food they would eat and had to do with the, the, their calendar and the certain days that they would worship and feasts that they would have and certain holy days that they would keep that were very important to them in their background, in their family heritage, in, in their traditions. And so there were these Jews that had these heritage and traditions and their culture, and then they came to Christ and were part of the church in Rome. There are also Christians who were not Jewish. I mean, a bunch of whacked-out pagans who came to know Jesus. They didn't have any kind of the, the habits and traditions. They had a whole bunch of different traditions, a whole bunch of different culture in their background and, and the way their, their, their family worked, and, but it had nothing to do with the ways of the Jews. Yeah, because uh, the, the, the Jews, uh, would, they, they wouldn't eat certain meats because in Rome, you just didn't know where that meat had been. You didn't know what idol had been sacrificed to. And so instead of possibly defiling themselves by eating of that meat, they just didn't eat meat. So that's why in the beginning part, this, this is not about vegetarians and vegans and all that kind of stuff. This is about Jews not eating meat in Rome. So the Jews in the church in Rome wouldn't eat meat because they didn't know where it came from. So they only ate the vegetables. Now, those Jews were called weak. Not necessarily a pejorative term that we would give it, a bad term, a negative term that we might give it today. It's a term just saying they were keeping those traditions that at a time were very important, but today they're not necessary. Or, or they were keeping those feast days that, that made certain days more important than others. Whereas over here, uh, the, the, the Gentile, the non-Jewish Christians, they didn't have those traditions. They didn't keep those particular dietary laws or rules or anything like that or any of those feast days at all. And now they were both gathering together as followers of Jesus. And what was happening was that the Jews were looking, uh, the Jews who would in that sense be more of a conservative group, not in our uh, current political words, but in just the basic meaning of that word. They were conserving those traditions and, and they were saying, you've got to keep these traditions and if you don't, then you don't belong on this panel, on the platform. You, know, you don't belong in this group. 
So they were judging the other Jesus followers because they were not keeping their rules and their guidelines and their traditions and their things that were very important in their background and history and culture. And since those people weren't keeping those, then they didn't belong here and they were judging them and and saying, you really weren't Christians. Then the the non Jewish Christians that came up that didn't have that had a whole different set of backgrounds and history and all the rest, they would look down who maybe were the more liberal of the group, would look down their noses at the Jewish Christians because they were still stuck in some of their old ways. You know, and, and they were too busy, caught up in those kind of things. They were sort of less than those of us who are really free in Christ. And so they, you, you see the, the argument then that goes on. They're in the first century church. You had groups of people from different backgrounds, different histories, different things that they were doing who were now judging one another and fighting with one another over things that were important to both but that were secondary in the whole scheme of being the church of Jesus Christ. So that sort of sets the scene for us today. You know, isn't it amazing as much as things go around how they just stay the same? I mean, because, you know, it, it, can't we just put a whole bunch of different people here today and say some folks want to say their values and traditions and significant practices are more important than others? Uh, and how we so easily can focus on those secondary things instead of focusing on following Jesus together and how that divides us according to our own backgrounds and ethnicities and race, country of origin, generation and age. I mean, there's freedom in recognizing we are sold out to follow Jesus together and all these other important things are secondary from our pursuit of following Jesus together. I mean, this is absolutely a crucial truth that we've got to understand because whether we like it or not, this is the way the world is going. In the ways of greater and greater differences and diversities in our culture, in our history, in in our family background, and all the rest. You know, today, in the United States... In the population of five-year-old and younger, there is no majority ethnicity. There is no group in the age of Melanie and those four or five years older than her that are the majority ethnic. No group has more than 50%. No, no race or ethnicity. And pundits think, and, and actually this, this happens quicker than predictions had estimated, and now they're estimating that by within less than 30 years, that will be the case for the whole nation. That there will be no majority ethnic group or racial group. As a matter of fact, in California and New Mexico, that's already true. In those states. And even in a county like Mecklenburg County in North Carolina where you find the old southern city that's really a boom town, Charlotte, North Carolina, there is no majority ethnicity in Mecklenburg County, in the heart of North Carolina. So that's the way that the world is going. That's the way that our nation is going, is really already there. And that's why it's so crucial for us to be on this journey of saying that we want to follow Jesus no matter our differences. 
Because we want to be exactly what Paul is telling us. We, we want to live that out in our community and maybe even as a church take the lead in our community and in our city and say this is how we've got to gather together and how it can be done that we we learn to appreciate we are free to appreciate all those differences and all the ways that we've grown up and things that we hold dear and important because we're willing to say Jesus is more important than all those other things and I want to Celebrate just for a moment way that I've seen that happen in uh, in our midst. And uh, don't don't let the anxiety meter go up. Don't get scared. But it's in the area of politics. Now I know that's really scary when that gets said in uh, uh, this setting. But I've seen it happen because I I I've seen people who believed at one point in time that there you couldn't be a Christian and a Republican. And I know people here who at one time in their lives thought you couldn't be a Christian and a Democrat. And I've seen them, and I've seen them, some of them, some of them still have a way to go, but you know, we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. I've seen them come together and their jaws drop. You know, and they say, wait a minute, how can this person have voted for that candidate? Right? I mean, politics is something we hold dear and important, but we, not a single one of us here is going to think that politics, is, if we voted for the right person, is going to get us into heaven. Or we voted for the wrong person, is going to keep us out. So it's something we hold very dear, but we recognize clearly it's secondary. <laughs> uh, then, and that's what we're about. Is learning to vote for Jesus. But I've seen their jaws drop and they say, you know what? That person voted for that candidate. But you know what? I've worked beside them in the name of the Lord. I've prayed with them. I, I, I've, I've disagreed with them on things, argued with them. We've forgiven one another. And, and I know they're a follower of Jesus and yet they voted for that candidate. I'm like, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I've seen it happen here and now. And how much more as it happens that we are then a witness to the world of the supremacy of Jesus. And that's ultimately where where Paul goes here. In verse 7, he, he moves us to say the key to this. The, the, the thing of, about judging one another, disdaining one another, dismissing one another because of those other things, because of their culture, because of their traditions and their history and all of that. The, the, the cause of that is that you are not living under the lordship of Jesus. And you're forgetting, you're forgetting the freedom you have to, to not be a judge because God is the judge that we serve. All right. Verse, verse 7 in the rest of the passage for this morning. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. His point is, dead or alive, all around, we belong to Jesus, and Jesus died for us. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent. 
Even if you're a green party, he died for you. Now, and it doesn't matter if you, if you like traditional music or you like contemporary. It doesn't matter if you like classical or hip-hop. Jesus died for you. So who are you to judge another because of their preferences? Who are you to judge another because of their background, because of their family traditions, because of their, their, their ethnic convictions? You're free to that. Let it go because you get to be with others who are different but who are mine and serve me. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we, with all, stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. See, the absolute central point of recognizing this, of us coming together, being freed of our sense of judging others, of condemning others because of all the other secondary things, it goes away when we recognize that we will be before God in a time of judgment. And not the eternal life judgment of being with Him, That's taken care of in Christ. Recognize this. Now, recognize this. Paul is writing to Christians in first century Rome. It was not cool to be Christian then. You know, you weren't Christian for any other reason but that you were sold out to Jesus because you knew it could mean imprisonment or death. You know, so these folks were sold out for Jesus. They were were ready to give that to Him. And it, it took... It took great, uh, it took precedence over all the other things. One, one note, uh, one note uh, about, uh, you know, just the, again, back to the, the whole political thing and how we, we've seen that here and, and people under God's, judge, under God's rulership, God's lordship, put those things aside. Do you know in, in, in elections, in the last two elections, basically, that evangelical Christians which by evangelical Christians, I mean conservative Christians, Christians who, who believe that Jesus is um, the one and only way to Christ, who believe that uh, folks need to turn to Him, to repent to Him. That's what I mean by evangelical Christians. 80, 85% of evangelical Christians who were white voted Republican. 80 to 85% of evangelical Christians who were black voted Democrat. Now, you're going to tell me that's a theological issue? No, it's not. It's related to history, it's related to tradition, it's related to family. I mean, the numbers just bear that out. And so when we come together under the Lordship of Christ, then those things take second place. Now, back to the, the judgment seat of Christ. That is not one of, of eternal life, of being with God forever or not. These folks are Christians. They are following Him. But there is a sense of a judgment as to how were we stewards of the life we were given. How, how did we use the resources that, that God gave to us? How, how did we spend our days? Were they in alignment with the heart of Jesus? 
Were they in alignment with the way that God wanted us to live in ways of loving Him and loving others? That's what that judgment will be. And friends, that, even though that might be sort of scary, we don't talk about judgment very much, I'm here to tell you, that's freeing. There's great liberty in knowing that God is our judge, and I'm not, and you're not. The, the one who is right and good and beautiful and true, He's the one that will sit with us. And, and we want that day to be a day of celebration when He stands with us and says, look at the beautiful ways that, that you grew in me, that you were being a witness to Christ. And look at the ways that you, you grew in love and truth and righteousness and beauty. This is good news because we have one who is our judge, who is right and perfect in every way. And as we live into Him, then it leads to life and life to the full. We are freed. We we are freed to live under the Lordship of Christ. That's why in the Connect 3 that we've been walking through this summer, why it's so important that we do, especially number one, that we connect with God. That we spend time regularly in the Scriptures, that we spend time in prayer that, and with others engaging with God because what we want to know, if, if God is indeed the judge, if He's the one that will stand with us at the, the end of time, and affirm certain parts of our life, and judge others, then we want to know. We want to know what's on the test, right? We want to know what's important to Him. Because we want to live into that. Because we know what's important to Him leads to life, and to the fullness of life now and then. So it's crucial then that we make one of, one of our habits together in, in connecting in three different ways that we connect with God together so that we know Him and we know what He values and we live into that. You know, I, I think this also, as I said earlier, has application into our families as well. Uh, in, uh, across the generations, application in the church and in the community, because generations sort of work that way. You know, for some, for some, Facebook is the lifeblood. For others, Facebook is almost the devil incarnate. Don't even know how to spell Twitter, and, and some dream about it. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways that we, we recognize in, our, in the church and in our community that the, the generations fall into the same categories. And you know, uh, I heard on NPR um, uh, this week that, that they've, they've found now quotes going back to the days of King David where parents bemoaned the moral downfall of their children. And grandparents were just overwhelmed with how the world was going to hell in a handbasket. That's been going on for three millennia. That we have signs of that. And yet, we're still here. Must be something more than theological reality. Must be more about social reality and the different context that we come from and how generations form that way and how we come together in Jesus no matter our differences.
And we do that in our families as well. And we do that in the workplace. If you find yourself in positions of leadership in, in work, man, you, you've got to be in tune with what's going on with the generations that, that are uh, coming up or, or what, what you're doing is going to be gone in a generation. So it has implications and applications for us all. The good news, in our journey of transformation, we're freed. We're freed from judging one another, from condemning one another around issues of secondary importance. And we are freed now to support and help and appreciate one another, recognizing the differences, learning from those differences in one another. We might never learn to like it, but we'll learn to love the one who does. As we are on a journey together, a group of very diverse people who are committed and sold out to living for Jesus, who we know is Lord of the living and the dead, the Democrats and the Republicans, and all in between. Amen.